This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And we have a pretty stacked episode today. I'm, you know, look, I, I don't I want to be humble in that, but at the same time, it's a pretty stacked episode. You know, we're talking crypto. All right. All things crypto today. All right. So do not ask me one question about microcap stocks. We're doing crypto. All right. And so joining me for this panel today, I'm going to go clockwise today. We got Jeff Dorman from Arca. Jeff, nice to meet you, actually. So very cool to have you on. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. We got Tyrone Ross from OnRamp Invest. What's up, Tyrone? How you doing today? I appreciate you. Love and light to you. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Hashtag onward, baby. Let's go. And next thing, (laughs) next up, we have Adam Blumberg from InterAccess. Adam, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And then we also have Thomas Brazil from 507. What's up, Thomas? How are you doing today? Whoop, whoop. It's good to be here. I need to come <laughs> up with like a catchy, like, you know, Anthony Pompliano has his like, what does he say? Bang, bang. We got to like come up with one here. Dude, I think I think by the end of this, we'll have something kind of figured out at this point. I, I'm, I'm really hoping that we will. So um, so the reason I, I wanted to have this panel together for today, because uh, it's been it's been quite a year for I mean, it's been quite a year for a lot of things, you know, and uh, a lot of things. And but but it's also been a year for crypto. You know, I mean, we're seeing it hit some uh, I think it's at all time highs on the Bitcoin side of things uh, close to it at the very least. You know, so I figured we'd start there, you know, just kind of what's been going on and why. So with that, I think, you know, I, we, Adam, you and I talked a little bit before this to uh, get prepared for this panel. So I think I'll throw it to you first. And then uh, whoever wants to jump in after uh, Adam's opening statement, we'll, we'll go from there. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Bobby. I, I guess I'll start it off, even though everyone on here is uh, very well qualified to do so. But um, what's been happening in crypto is is you have 2020, which ended up being this year that Uh, not only did so much come together from an infrastructure perspective, right? Everything that it was building for crypto, for Bitcoin, for for decentralized finance, DeFi, uh, has has been building from an infrastructure perspective to uh, since obviously 2017 when we had the ICO boom and bust. And now we have, you know, some good real use cases for cryptocurrency and blockchain and decentralized finance. You have infrastructure behind it. And then, of course, you add 2020, you add you know, the, the Fed printing money, you add more money printing, you add so much uncertainty in the world of, of finance and, and in um, investments. And so many people getting, you know, having some time, doing some research, getting into this, and everything just turned out uh, a, a certain way for cryptocurrency that it started to go up. And we can, we can make up all the narratives we want. We can talk about how 2020 helped or COVID helped or didn't help and and money printing from the Fed helped. Um, but in reality, th- this is just something that's been building and building and building. And it was either gonna happen this year or next year or, or sometime soon. It just so happened you needed some sort of spark and impetus and all that infrastructure coming together at a time when people said, maybe we need something different. Maybe we want someplace else to, to put money. Maybe we want a store of value. Maybe we like DeFi. Maybe we like a way to transmit wealth, transmit money back and forth across the country or across the world without having to actually walk into a bank or having to send a check. Maybe we don't like the fees and it, it's all just kind of happened right around now. And I don't know if that's the reason for, for the run up or what. It, I, I don't really care what the, what the reason is, I, I guess. It, the fact that it, it seems like more and more people are ready, more and more people are ready to talk about it and ready to put what, what's happened in the past kind of behind and, and say, okay, where are we right now? What do we know right now? And what is this the technology and is this the system and the ecosystem that's going to take us into the future? I mean, no, that's that's an interesting point and, and I think a great place to start. I mean, I 
I, I sometimes when I was seeing some of the run up in the in the, the the bigger interest, you know, I equated a lot to some of the you know the explosion in in Robinhood traders. You know, I mean, I think we had what I think they said something like three million new new investors on their platform. You know, and and there's you know I said I wasn't going to talk microcaps, but here I am. You know, but more speculation. You know, it, it, it microcaps you in a little bit because uh, people are just yeah I know I went there I, it, I can't help myself. Um, but I, I feel like there, there might not necessarily that I, I'm not making a judgment whether or not Bitcoin or any of these other coins are, are speculative buys by any means. Uh, we can let everybody else listening in uh, make that judgment for themselves. But it seems like there's been kind of that this just growing interest in really taking your financial future into your own hands. I mean, Tyrone, let's go to you. I mean, what 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 have you been seeing thus far and 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 seeing some of the just action in crypto and maybe some of the maybe comment on some of the things I just said? So, I mean, the gentlemen that are here can get into, you know, a lot of the, the really smart things about it. But for me, um, I'll, I'll hit on this point and then I'll talk about what is really important to me. I retweeted last night something that I said at the beginning of the year that I've been repeating all year that the crypto theme of 2020 will be how do we get financial advisors in the pool based on my DMs, emails, calls, conferences, talks that seems to be the theme. Everyone is trying to figure out a way to get those 29,000 RIAs who manage close to $84 trillion into the pool. But for me, as 2020 has gone on, and as I watched another black man die in the street, it is impossible for me now to look at the income inequality in this country and not have Bitcoin be in that discussion. So I'm at the point now, people wanna talk income inequality if you want to talk social justice, if you want to talk financial education, if you want to put all those things on the table and not bring up Bitcoin, it is irresponsible. There has never in our lifetime, probably besides the iPhone, been something that has been a greater salve to the unbanked, especially here in the US, but the 1.7 billion across the world than Bitcoin. The 15 million people in this country who lack identity the 25% of the black community that are unbanked, the 70% who don't live near a bank branch. I can keep going on and on, right? The, the, the 50% in the South Bronx who don't have a bank account, poorest congressional district in the country. So for me, as 2020 started to go on, and for whatever reason, they're not gonna bring you on CNBC to talk about this because they've tried to figure out who the next billionaire is to hint around it. It doesn't make the headlines, but for all of the oh, we're gonna, you know, Black Lives Matter and all that other nonsense for people to not put Bitcoin in that discussion and talk about that, to me, it started to bother me. So everyone knows where I stand on all that other stuff, but for me, it's the social justice angle. So if you're bringing that up and you don't talk Bitcoin, I'm, I'm tuning you out because right now the solutions have to be as big as the problem. 50 million facing eviction, one in three children going hungry, all of these things. If we're not gonna put every solution on the table, I don't wanna hear it. And the, and, the, and the greatest way to bring that to the fore is say, all right, well, we've had financial redlining. Bitcoin doesn't care about that. Everybody's included. So if you don't put that on the table, I'm, I'm done listening. So that's kind of where I'm at with it now. I think these gentlemen are more than well equipped to go through all of the other smart stuff. But I, I, have, a, I have millions of people I have to fight for and I have to make sure Bitcoin enters that conversation. Well, let's, let, let's continue that real quick. Tyrone, going back to you. You know, so... So your your thesis being is that there's 25 million Black Americans that are unbanked. And 25 percent. 25 25 percent. I'm sorry. 25 are unbanked. And the mm -hmm. thesis being is that you know when you introduce digital currency, whether it's Bitcoin, blockchain, you know that that opens those doors to having access to financial freedom. Is, is yeah, that, well, yeah, that's, that's the, that's it, the, the it is, thesis. it is Bitcoin's in only an arguable use case. You, no one can argue it. There's literally no one that can argue against Bitcoin being the thing for the unbanked. Nobody can argue it. I challenge people all the time. I'm waiting still. I've been saying this forever. No one could do it. You know why? Look at the remittance market, 600 billion, $600 billion worldwide. Look at remittances since that happened. Look at uh, Paxful and what local Bitcoins are doing. You know what the biggest, the biggest and most profitable stable coin in the Bitcoin space right now is not Tether. It's not UCSD. It's not any of those uh, USDC. You know what it is? It's gift cards. 
gift cards are the biggest, know why? Because I can go get an Amazon gift card, put that information on Paxful, send that to my uncle who's in Guyana and he can turn that Bitcoin into Guyanese dollars, not have to leave the house. And my father doesn't have to stress about uh, sending him money through Western Union or whatever else. All of these different things, but more importantly, when you get into the fact of simply giving people the ability, those that are, again, like myself, grew up in the Caribbean community. Another thing that won't tell you, go back to the 16th century. You know what the first blockchain was? A susu. I'm going to keep saying this until people get it, because guess what? It's trustless. Guess what? There's a time schedule when everybody gets their money. Guess what? There's no KYC, AML, or whatever. It's trust. It's community-based. So if you go into any inner city where these people are, I think Hispanics call it a tanda, and you say, guess what? There's a digital version of this. It's there. And adjusted for income, do you know who the biggest users of fintech are? I don't need to say it. They'll never tell you that. Adjusted for income, do you know who the biggest savers are? Don't need to say it. They'll never tell you that. If you go to all of these things, but yet everyone is purporting, oh, it's saving technology, is this, is that. Whether it's saving technology, a store of value, long dated cost, uh, call option on store of value, how I look at it, an alternative investment, whatever the case may be. Right now, in this day and time, it is money, it is currency, it is all of those things, but here in America where we have the privilege of multiple ways to pay, multiple ways to invest, multiple ways to transfer money, of course is not those things here. It's not supposed to be, unless you, would, you look at the caste system that we have in this country, and the class issue and those at the bottom that have zero financial access. There's a reason why I walked into a Waffle House in Charlotte and I have a buy BTC shirt on and the waitress goes, what is that? And I said, it's Bitcoin. She goes, oh, that's in my cash app. You know where cash app has the greatest penetration in this country? The deep South. You wanna know where financial literacy is at the, at the least effective in this country? The deep South. You wanna know how long it took me to explain to her what Bitcoin was and how that thing worked? Uh, five minutes just to get her interested and understand the possibility of it, that is powerful. We need to lean on that. Because again, I know it doesn't move the needle and it's not sexy and no fund or, or on-ramp invest or whatever. We don't benefit from that. But you know who does? A mother and a child who went to bed hungry last night. That's what's important to me. The other stuff will take care of itself. Tyrone, you probably hit on the most interesting, like, I mean, everything that you just said, I agree with the uh, very much so, you know, but one, one thing that you just said, that's pretty interesting. That's even been a struggle again, going back to microcap stocks, I'm going to say it again, is, <laughs> is this idea of education and, and this idea that with Bitcoin and crypto, you know, I, I mean, listen, there's plenty of crypto bros out there that we know that like, will make it sound way more complicated and this, that, the other thing. But at the end of the day, it's really not, it, it takes five minutes really to yeah. understand. So, I mean, is, could that be something that's also really taking center stage right now is that, just the, the, the education gap is starting to close a little bit and yeah. that, it, and that there's just so much more resources out there. I mean, it's still not enough, but they're, it's starting to get, you know, the, just, it's really just starting to get more quote unquote mainstream. I guess it's on Yahoo finance. It doesn't get more mainstream than that. Yeah. Well, you, you reach, you, you reach mass acceptance before you reach mass adoption. And I want to make right. it clear. I still learn about Bitcoin every day and crypto every day. And I'm sure everyone does here. My whole point was what took five minutes was me to speak to her condition. I knew what she was lacking financially in her life because I had been there. I grew up in an unbanked home. I know what it means to go through the alternative financial system. And then when that's how I came to the Bitcoin, I was like, wait a second, the money settles now. We don't have a real-time payment system in the US. If we had a real-time payment system right now, we wouldn't be have this, having this goofy ass, I'm sorry, but this goofy uh, income inequality conversation. Right now, if we just instituted a real-time payment system today, but what, and, and I was explaining this yesterday, it's like Bitcoin solves that. And, and I wanna hear from everybody else and I don't wanna hog up the time here, but I will say this, what's fascinating is this, another thing they'll never tell you, you know what the greatest tool is right now in America to get children to understand money, Bitcoin. Cause here's what, if you start to understand Bitcoin you have to learn everything they're teaching these kids anyway, math, science, history, it's all there. You can't learn it without those things. So what greater tool do we have to go into poorest cities in this country and go, I want to tell you about this technology. Oh, wait, 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 wait. These STEM programs and everything that they want to push on inner city kids. You telling me Bitcoin can't be a part of that? ESG, you can't tell, you don't tell that the biggest S shouldn't be Bitcoin. So the focus here is off. It is my job to tighten that lens because if we don't do that, 
it will never reach its full potential in terms of the social and philanthropic use and not whether it's a reserve asset. We're going to get there anyway, but I got to make sure that the focus is on that. Very good. Well, I'm here to help support that in any way that we can, of course. And I'm excited that you joined us today to, to share share that message and, and get that out there even more so. And couldn't agree more. Look, when it comes to investing in general, but but Bitcoin has is, is introduced a whole new level of that is that it's very interdisciplinary, right? You know, there's so many different things that you can learn about, whether you're looking at stocks, crypto, you know, it, it just, it opens your mind to new ideas. And speaking of open your mind to new ideas, I think that's a good segue to Thomas Brazil, because he looks at, at all sorts of interesting investments out there. I, I, I said fascinating earlier, I changed it to interesting. So interesting. Thomas. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> but but hopefully lucrative for him at the end of the day as well. So Tom, throwing to you, I mean, you know, what what are, what are you seeing right now? What what's your take been on? What's I mean, this is I actually enjoy being this panel. Like you know, I see everyone sort of lives in their own world, and it's kind of fun to get everybody's different perspective. But yet the common theme is like you know everyone here is sort of uh, I don't know what do you want to call it into crypto or sort of a believer in the possibility of crypto being. Uh, a real thing, a real asset class, and a real, uh, having real utility. And so it's fun to hear, you know, uh, Tyrone and trying to hear Adam, like their perspective and just like kind of getting uh, different takes on it. You know, um, I don't, I, I just, I'm kind of enjoying, I'm soaking up what people are saying. There's so many angles. Crypto is so diverse and it's so complex. Um, and then, you know, as well as you guys were just saying, you know, it can be quite simple. Like, is there utility? What is this? And, you know, it's interesting to think about. It really makes you deeply think. It's almost philosophical in the sense of it makes you think about, you know, what is money and, you know, how, how, how are things structured? So, so it, is, it is a little bit of a, uh, a deep conversation and it's kind of fun to hear people's perspective. But, uh, and I love to hear Jeff. Jeff is, uh, you know, kind of, to me, what's interesting about crypto as well is not only do you have infrastructure, like you, Adam, you were talking about coming in, but you also have like, 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 look at everybody in this panel, like everybody is coming into this space from a different angle. And for myself, it's a distressed angle, getting involved in interesting opportunities through distress. For Jeff, it's like special situations. For Tyrone and, and, and Adam, you guys are, you know, trying to find, you know, ways to protect your clients' portfolios and, and, and you're very interested in the space. So it's like, it's just interesting. So I'd, I'd love to, you know, sit back and, and listen. And, and I was getting hungry when there was talk of waffle and Bitcoin. That was like my two favorite things. <laughs> Mine too. I, what's better than waffles and Bitcoin? I, keep saying that. I, I actually think what you're saying, I mean, Thomas, what you're saying too about the educational stuff is, is, I mean, all of us spend all of our time in this space and yet you learn something new every time you do one of these. I mean, you know, I, I know a little bit about what Tyrone was speaking about, but I don't know everything. And, and um, certainly I, I've been intentionally quiet because I, I was soaking that in. Um, but I come at this world from a completely different angle. I mean, I focus solely on the institutional investor adoption, right? Which is obviously the opposite end of the spectrum of what Tyrone was speaking about. And, and I think what's interesting is I can't remember another asset that has touched so many corners of finance than Bitcoin, right? I mean, U.S. Treasuries is the only thing I can think of that touches so many different places, right? Think about all the different people looking at Bitcoin right now. You've got the unbanked, you've got uh, uh, hedge funds, you've got um, uh, uh, corporate treasuries right now. You've got government, right? You have everything from managed futures and commodity and FX traders to long short equity people looking at a macro hedge to credit and bankruptcy investors. I mean, literally this is touching every single corner. There's no other asset other than treasuries that, that, that is touching this many places. Um, and, and I think importantly, um, you know, the, the shift to digital was happening with or without COVID, right? That was already happening. There, there, there's nothing new. COVID didn't, didn't, didn't all of a sudden make people wake up and be like, hey, you know what? There's this, you know, this, this internet that we should be taking advantage of. That was already happening, right? My son is eight years old. I show him a baseball card in my parents' basement. He doesn't care. I show him an online digital representation of a baseball card. He thinks it's the coolest thing in the world, right? We were heading in this direction anyway. Um, what COVID did and what 2020 did is two things, right? One, it accelerated that shift to digital, uh, maybe faster than we were headed in the first place. Um, but two is it took all these people who were learning and educating for the last two or three years, and it finally made them want to actually uh, be actionable about it rather than just learning about it, right? I mean, we have an institutional investor distribution list, which has been in the tens of thousands of people for you know three years at ARCA. The amount of, of, of people actually opening and reading and engaging with that has tripled this year. They were already on the list. They just care more than they did before because of some of the things that have happened in 2020. Um, and, and if you think about from a macro standpoint, 
it's the perfect storm, right? I mean, you, you, you could go back to 2012, 2013, maybe even 2011, when everyone was concerned about a double dip recession coming out of 2008. And everybody was looking for ways to protect themselves, right? Some people were shorting European government bonds and that didn't work out because the ECB backed everything. Some people were shorting equities, uh, thinking that, you know, profits were never going to rebound. Obviously, that's been a widow maker trade. Equities have gone straight up for nine years. Um, some people were buying gold, you know, that literally did nothing until, you know, the last six months or last 18 months, rather. Um, Bitcoin was by far the best way to express that view. And the same thing is true now, nine years later, right? People are now looking at ways to protect themselves against recession, against you know, insane money printing across the across the universe, right? I mean, we have thirty five percent increase in the M one money supply in the last what eight eight uh, last twelve months. I mean, that's unprecedented, right? So people are still looking to protect themselves the same way they were nine years ago. The difference is Bitcoin is now front and center in everyone's mind, whereas it wasn't eight years ago. So you really have this perfect storm from a macro standpoint and from a digital adoption standpoint to make this be a bigger deal now than it ever was before. I, I think where where we come out at ARCO when we're talking to institutional investors and thinking about the space is that one of the other things Tyrone said is equally important, uh, which is beyond Bitcoin, which has nothing to do with money or cryptocurrency. It has to do with uh, how do you make, uh, how, do you, how do you decrease this inequality in the world? Part of it is obviously you know, money and Bitcoin. The other part is investments. And if you think about, I, the example I've been using is like, think about Amazon versus Amazon Prime. Amazon shareholders have made a fortune. Amazon Prime members get all of the benefit, right? They get free shipping, they get music, they get movies, they get you know a Whole Foods discounts, whatever. But the people who make Amazon possible, the merchants, the users, the customers, are not the ones who are benefiting financially. That's all the shareholders. What digital assets are doing beyond Bitcoin is you now have companies issuing digital assets to their customers, to their stakeholders, and basically combining those two people, your customers, your users, your developers, become your investors. And this is a completely different topic than Bitcoin, but we're seeing real companies that are starting to issue digital assets in this way, which basically turns your customers into your investors and your evangelists. And, and this to me is the, what you're gonna see over the next 10 years. If you think the last 10 years was this infrastructure and macro buildup of Bitcoin, the next 10 years is gonna be this infrastructure and macro buildup of tokens being the next part of the capital structure beyond debt and equity. And I think that's going to further what Tyrone is saying, which is going to reduce this inequality, because if you're an eBay shopper or you're a Twitter user or you're an Amazon shopper, you're going to actually start benefiting financially one day as well, just by being a user in the ecosystem. And that's where we're headed. I, I, want, to piggyback I, mean, okay. I want to piggyback on that really quickly, because that's a very powerful point. And I was talking about this yesterday in the talk that I gave, where we are in a system now where you either get paid twice a month or once a month. And I could only think about if my dad, again, who was barely able to read and write, but somehow worked a job 40 years, my mother, who was a teenage mother, helped him get that job. If my dad was able to earn his day's wage and bring that wage home that day, how that would have kept the lights on, or that would have, you know, we wouldn't have been sitting in the dark and my mother wouldn't have had to boil pots of hot water for us to stay warm. Or maybe I didn't go to school without lunch money that day and was the kid on the side of the lunch line who couldn't eat. Like, just this is what this economy, this crypto economy is going to allow for people to earn money that day and take money home that day, right? There, there's so much here that could alleviate the stress and the plight of the people at the bottom. It, it, it's fascinating where, because people are like, well, Tyrone will give you a price target. I can't. I could never do it because it's incalculable what it means to the people at the bottom to simply have access, forget everything else, but just access to a way to access their money now, not three to six days, not real time. I put it in now, but literally I earned it today. I can spend it today to make sure my needs are met. That is incredibly powerful and I can't stress it enough. Well, to me, it's interesting because it's going to lead to, I hope that it will lead to tons of innovation in the financial sector and also you know, money. So the idea that this innovation will lead to more equality when it comes to these things. So there's so many, uh, you know, financial, other consumer, yeah, a lot of consumer where, you know, it's a tax on anyone that's, um, I mean, uh, you know, on poor, on anyone that's poor. So you, you have things, you know, paid in advance, any, anything like this stuff we're talking about that people have to uh, do this. And hopefully there's a lot of innovation around that. I love the idea of sort of cracking open, 
you know, what is money and what, you know, how, how, you know, what is regulation around finance and then in allowing people play in the sandbox and hopefully there's a lot of innovation that leads to um, benefits as you're, as you're, you know, as we, as we hope for anyway. Can I, uh, Bobby, jump, yeah. jump on something yeah. that a few other uh, uh, guys here have talked about and, and I've heard Tyrone talk about this uh, quite a bit and, and it's led us down uh, this road of, of talking about when you start learning about what Bitcoin is, where it came from, how it gave us other blockchain technologies and how those are starting to be used and, and utilized. One, you learn so much more about economics, finance, banking, Fed, federal bank, anything like that. I was a, a finance major in college. I spent years in the financial industry. I've learned more in the last three years about macroeconomics, microeconomics, uh, the banking system, finance, because even as a financial advisor, everything is so packaged up neatly for you that if I go open an account for a client of mine and they want a, a traditional and, a, and an IRA, right? I fill out their name one time, I hit two, I hit a button twice and bam, you have IRA and you have traditional and we put their money in. And I, uh, as a financial advisor, I don't have to know anything about those structures. But when you start talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, you have to understand more about the underlying structures and therefore you have to take several steps back in, into where, how we got here, right? And in taking steps back in, in terms of, of how we got here and trying to educate people, we always say, we have to bring you all the way back to take you back forward, right? And the all the way back is understanding why we even have a banking system, why, why we have that currency and banking system. And cryptocurrency is not there to completely upend governments and, and, and upend the banks. But you want to try to figure out why we have what, what, what we talk about in our access all the time, fees and friction, right? And the reason why Tyrone talks about not so many people not having those opportunities to participate in the banking system and really in the financial system is the fees and the friction. But we have those because at some point we've had to outsource trust to someone. And we outsourced it to the government and we outsourced it to the banks and then we've outsourced it to insurance companies because we had to trust someone. And what Bitcoin has done when you go back and understand it is, is it said, look, you can outsource a lot of that trust to just computer code. And we can put enough computers together with enough processing power and we can trust that. And once we can do that, we can take out some of those intermediaries like banks and like governments and go, look, I can just interact with you no matter where you are in the country or where you are in the world, and it can cost virtually nothing. And then you see opportunities like, like years ago when the internet came out and, and I said, look, I can, I can help fund some farmer in some small business in India with like 12 bucks, right? And they, that's incredibly impactful to them. But then you realize how many fees and how many people are taking a cut along the way. And you go, oh, well, that's not really as efficient as I thought it was. Like I can communicate with them like that, but I can't send them money. Well, this is how you send them money. And that person could be a, a small farmer in India or Africa or a manufacturer. It could be someone in New Jersey or the deep South or California. And the fact that they don't have to go through all the fees and frictions that banks have had to charge because we've outsourced so much trust to them in the past that now we can outsource to code. That is, is really the, the basis. And so then once you understand that, then you go further into things like Jeff talks about when, when you talk about automated market makers and, and other types of investments in the DeFi space, because now you start to go, oh, I understand where there were inefficiencies before and therefore where we can solve some of those and how those are going to make money and therefore where there are other potential investments. And we have to separate what is a, a crypto investment where I'm trying to invest and make money versus what is a crypto use, which is I can use Bitcoin in lieu of dollars so that I don't have to go through banks and, and necessarily pay their fees and deal with their time and deal with their friction and everything. So there, there are several different use cases in here. And once you start to go all the way back to the beginning of the use cases and money, then you can start to step forward and understand the different investment and the different opportunity, the different participation options that people all over the world will have. Well, Adam, that's actually a, a perfect segue because one of the questions that I had coming into this is because I think we were all, we all remember in 2017, you know, the frothiness, the, I think there's no other word to say, just the frothiness, the speculativeness, just all of it with from altcoins, the crazy run-ups. I mean, I, I remember, I remember learning about Bitcoin back in 2010 and then looking at 2011 and, uh, you know, I've, I've said this story many times, but like getting ready to actually go and buy it on Mt. Gox and was waiting to get my, my account verified. 
And it, it, at the time it, it, it said it was going to take like four to eight weeks to verify my driver's license and whatever. And in that time, the Bitcoin, I think went from 50 to a thousand and then it shut down the next year, you know? So th there's always been kind of like a, I don't even want to say a black swan event, but it's like a crazy run up and then like something happens and, and, or just the frothiness goes away or people start taking that next step thought process of like, okay, why is this happening again? Let's rethink this. So why is what's happening now different than the most recent run up and then kind of freeze ish, I'd say. So uh, Jeff, let, let's go to yeah. you on this one. Well, I mean, look, you're never going to stop people from gambling, right? I mean, that's, that's going to happen no matter what, right? You have, you have something that changes in price, uh, you know, whether you're sitting at a blackjack table or you're investing in stocks or digital assets. If you see something that increases or decreases your wealth, people are going to be gravitated towards it, right? You can't change right. human behavior in terms of what draws people in. What you can change is the probability of success and the education and the types of assets that people are investing in. And that's the biggest difference of what has changed now versus three years ago and seven years ago, right? Bitcoin is less risky today than it was three years ago than it was 10 years ago because there is a real use case. There's a real understanding of what Bitcoin does. There is a real um, um, you know, global adoption and infrastructure that supports Bitcoin. A lot of the other digital assets that popped up in 2016, 2017, and 2018 are, you know, if not fraudulent, certainly never adopted in any way, shape, or form, right? They don't capture value. There's no accrual mechanism. There's no way to do research or understand how there's adoption that's going to take off. But there are new tokens that have been invented in the last three years that are taking this much more seriously, right? They are actually having investor relations and talking to their investors. They are actually structuring tokens specifically to accrue value back to token holders. There, a lot of, I don't even use the word crypto. Like to me, there's four types of digital assets. Crypto is just one of them. And Bitcoin is the only one that actually matters within the crypto category. The other digital assets that we look at are asset-backed tokens, tokens that are backed by real hard assets and income streams. Uh, pass-through tokens, you know, tokens that are basically quasi-equity that basically give you value back when a company or a project succeeds. This is, goes back to the Amazon, Amazon Prime example. There are companies that are doing that, saying, if you are my early customer and you are a supporter, we will give you back a pass-through of our revenue or our profits, right? These can be analyzed and modeled using traditional cash flow analysis. Not nearly as interesting or exciting as what Tyrone's talking about, about banking uh, the unbanked, but from an investment standpoint, there are real ways to actually analyze and invest in the digital asset space now that didn't exist three and four years ago because everybody was just trying to replicate Bitcoin. Now people are coming up with new use cases for what these digital assets can really be. So from our standpoint, the biggest change is that the investable universe actually makes sense, is analyzable and has value today, whereas it didn't three years ago. The difficulty for a lot of investors who don't spend 24-7 doing this like we do and don't have a seven-person research team like I do at ARCA is that it's really hard to know the difference between the good and the bad uh, in this new digital world unless you're a frequent user, unless you're testing these products and doing the research and understanding it. So there's, there's still going to be you know, craziness where things go up for the sake of going up or your friend tells you about something or you hear it in an Uber and you buy it. But the difference is more times than not, there's some real value underneath these in the new version of digital assets that didn't exist in the older version three, four years ago. I mean, so I, I don't, I hopefully this isn't a dumb question, but I mean, do, and I'll, I'll put this out to the panel. I mean, do you see, you know, that ICO craze of 2017? I don't mean to call it a craze, but you know, just, well, I guess it was a craze. All right, the ICO craze, I mean, is it going to be, do you see a similar thing happening with what you were talking about with your Amazon, Amazon Prime example? Well, well, you, well again, do, I mean, do, do, the do ICO, ICO should not be a dirty word just because the outcome was bad, right? ICO was just a mechanism for putting this, this is why into we do, the public hands. So this right? is why we do panels to help with, yeah, the, you know, I, well, I, I don't well, want it, I don't want it to be a dirty word. But, right. I mean, like the ICO is a dirty word because the because the outcome was a lot of wealth destruction for a lot of people because they came in without knowing what they were doing and were you know listening to other people's advice and prices went down. The ICO itself was just a mechanism for bringing tokens to market. The difference again now is that once Ethereum followed Bitcoin and had some success, all of these crazy startups just started issuing tokens with a white paper saying, if you buy my tokens, I promise you wealth or I promise you all these great things in the future. But nothing was actually built, right? You were taking an incredibly risky stance by saying, I'm going to assume that this company will grow or this project will grow and you'll take care of me if they do. Um, it, it's very similar to what venture capital investors do. Again, the difference is venture capital investors, they know that they're going to get 92 wrong and eight right. They just hope that the eight that they get right are going to pay back the 92 that they get wrong. 
a lot of retail investors who were buying these ICOs assumed that if they bought one, it was going to go higher and they were going to make a fortune. And that's just not how life works. The, the difference again now is that the, instead of these pipe dream future projects that are funding with a token, a lot of these companies and projects already exist. They already have real revenues, real users, real cash flows, and they're introducing a token later to help to bootstrap that growth further. They're, again, they're, they're, they're issuing tokens to help the success of their already existing company and to help their customers uh, gain for using the platform rather than saying, hey, person I don't know, come fund my business and maybe three years from now, I'll actually build something. So the maturation in that process is really important from a sustainability standpoint. And again, there's gonna be some things that still go under. These are still new companies. These are still largely untested projects and, and technologies, but the evolution of the actual token itself is much further along than it was three years ago. Very good. And you know, it's, it's interesting because from there, I mean, you know, uh, Thomas on this panel, you know, you, you can't, you're coming at this from a distress standpoint. I mean, so there have been some of these companies that have more or less failed or, you know, haven't been, you just didn't perform or, or just didn't say, do what they say they were going to yeah. do, but there might be interesting technology still in there, yeah. you know? So, Bad I mean, is, is that some of the things? I mean, <laughs> yes. it is. I mean, and, and, you know, it's interesting, again, if you like hear everybody's perspective, I mean, you think about the fact that this is like such a, I guess, an outsider movement or almost like a defiance, defiance movement of like, you know, people that are somewhat, uh, outside there's no there's no real incentive for people that are very establishment to, to be in the space i suppose and the people that that, that are it's interesting to to see them move in, into crypto and, and like digital assets is probably a better way to put it because because jeff you're right there, there's now becoming a whole chinese menu of, of different things um that are interesting and of course there will be projects that won't work um, but it's good for society, even though like the investors, you know, might lose out, but that's just like micro cap stocks, probably his favorite. Yeah. My favorite. So, yeah. And, and, and truthfully, I mean, to, when we, when we point out these other digital assets, it's not to detract or take away from Bitcoin. It's to make sure people understand that Bitcoin is a totally different investment. Bitcoin isn't an unbelievably good thing to own for all the reasons we already mentioned. If you're going to look at other things though, you just need to recognize that these are not Bitcoin. These are not cryptocurrency. These are again, quasi equity instruments of other uh, uh, companies. Um, and again, that can be super powerful. It's just incredibly different. And that's why the education is so important, right? If you want to understand money and economics and unbanking or banking the unbanked, you should focus on Bitcoin and largely nothing but Bitcoin. And, and Tyrone is as good of a resource as any, or the best resource I've seen to actually educate and understand that process. Um, but if you are that looking beyond sure. Bitcoin, you just need to understand what you're doing, right? Either you are, you know, go no different than a Robinhood trader jumping on and just trying to like, you know, trade momentum and trends, or you can understand what these companies really do and why the digital asset is so powerful. Um, one of the things going back again to to what, um, uh, what both Tyrone and Adam was were talking about earlier is like, one of the reasons this technology is so powerful, regardless of whether you own Bitcoin or Ethereum or some other digital asset, or, or eventually one day, you know, you might own equities as a digital asset as well. The reason this is so important is, is governments around the world are basically daring you to own cash right now. They're saying, do not own cash, right? Rates are zero or negative. Uh, inflation is coming. Do not own cash. Go buy a house. Go buy equities. Go buy something, right? The reality is for, you know, 60% of Americans and probably 90% of, of people in the world, that's not something they can go do. They can't go buy equity. They can't go buy a house. They are forced to own cash, right? Because they, they have to, they have to meet their bills. They have to meet their liabilities. Even people who are very wealthy, they, they never go 100% invested. They still own some level of cash because of, of the fungibility, right? You know, if you have all your money in Tesla and Apple stock and you want to go buy a house tomorrow, it's going to take you seven days for that to clear your brokerage account and then go to your bank account and then send a wire, right? It's not fungible. Where we're headed with digital assets is eventually you're going to have every single asset you own on your phone. That might be your stocks and your house equity. That might be your baseball cards, your jewelry, your car, whatever it is. You're going to have a digital representation of your assets on your phone where you don't need a bank or a brokerage account and it's fully fungible. If you need to go make a payment in 10 minutes, you can liquidate you know, 10% of your jewelry and 10% of your car if you want to, because there will be a digital representation of this. And that fungibility is going to solve a big problem that Tyrone and, and Adam were talking about, which is you, you as a, as a, as a, as a uh, uh, non-wealthy person are still going to potentially be able to invest because if you need that money, you can still use it. Whereas right now, you have no choice. You have to hold cash, even though you know it's a terrible thing to hold. 
because you have to meet obligations. Once that bridge collapses and you can use your assets to make payments, it changes the entire dynamic of what people are willing to own. And that's a big deal. I mean, we're, I, and, and to piggyback on that a little bit, something that we talk about a lot with, with advisors and I know Tyrone talks about is uh, and why financial, why the RIA community really needs to start at least learning the technology and learning to, to get on board is just what Jeff talked about. Imagine um, that the, the fact that right now you might own Apple stock or Tesla stock or, or a fund or something, and you want to go pay for, for something. Well, you pay out of your bank account, right? You pay out of, out of money that you have in cash. But imagine as a financial advisor trying to coach your clients through this time, that through, through their financial life, and thinking about, okay, you can make your car payment, you can buy a car, you can buy a house, you can pay for your food with either uh, t tomorrow with, with either your Apple stock or cash, which, which would you prefer? That, that is a completely different financial planning talk now, because now, I, I, now every asset I have is potentially available uh, to, to be able to use to pay for things. It's not like I have my, you know, only my investment assets and then my cash assets. It's everything is kind of intermingled. And from a financial advisor perspective, all I can say is you better be ready. Like you better start being ready to have those conversations about how I can pay for things with my investments because the three to seven day settlement period again, go back and understand why there's even a settlement time, a settlement period. If you have to go way back and go, okay, as, as we've come forward, why do we have this settlement? Why do we even have that? Um, which as a financial advisor, you'll, you'll go get educated. You'll, you'll go learn that. That's part of cryptocurrencies. Go, oh my gosh, this is great. We have instant settlement. Why did we not have this before? But start thinking about you in terms of your financial life, or if you're a financial advisor, um, your clients, if the assets they're actually invested in, you have to think about those as being useful for payment for things tomorrow. That is a different financial talk now. Okay, I'm, I'm, this, my next question might be an okay boomer question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. So, you know, I, I mean, when this, <laughs> so, uh, so this idea of, you know, being able to pay for everything from your phone, you know, and, and it's a, it's, it's a, for me that I would love that. Like, I mean, I'm, I use Venmo. I use all, all the different apps to pay for certain Zelle and stuff like that, you know, but we have to get to a point where we have trust in our, in the technology. We have trust that, you know, our phones are protected that, you know, from hackers and this and that, you know, so where are we in that process? Because I feel like that's still the, the last hurdle before you get complete and full adoption from even from even centralized you know uh from centralized well, do, systems. Do, you, do, you, do you i mean do you remember back in the early 2000s when internet shopping basically first started do you remember how many people were terrified to put their credit card into the internet or, or even go go to an airport do you remember when the first time you were supposed to swipe your credit card to get your plane ticket and people were like i'm not doing that um, they would, they were happily, they would happily go fly in a giant metal tube, you know, at five, you know, 500 miles an hour at 30,000 feet in the air, but they don't want to put a piece of plastic into a machine because they were terrified, right? Eventually people stopped being terrified and they, you know, all of global commerce is done online and people don't even bother going to a airport ticket window anymore because they know they can get their tickets on their phone. Like, I don't know what the Malcolm Gladwell tipping point will be that makes people all of a sudden comfortable but we're a lot closer today than we were two and three years ago and five years ago. Like it will become mainstream. It's not a boomer versus millennial. It's a, eventually people just recognize that this is the norm and it probably comes with not even recognizing that you're using it, right? When, when most people send an email, when my mom sends an email from her iPad, she has no idea that the same thing could be done on her computer or a phone and it's the same exact SMTP protocol and it's the same, you know, she, she doesn't know what happens when she hits send. She knows that when she hits send, the communication gets from me or from her to me. Right. Most people will never know how blockchain works and will never care about the trust. They'll just know that there are applications that work. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know what makes that tipping point happen, but to assume that it won't happen, I think, is pretty short sighted. You, you also need to make the distinction. I'm sure anyone would say this, but the between the technology of blockchain and cryptography and the layers on top of service providers. Right. So like from a from a from a technology standpoint, of course, um, some of the blockchain um, different different ways of, of of sort of sorting out uh, blockchains. 
cryptographically is incredibly secure. That's not the issue. The issue comes at the service layer where you have companies that were either early and they were fine or they were early and they didn't have it all together like Mt. Gox or anything you want to talk about. So when you hear people, and for myself from a distress standpoint, you hear people say all the time, it's like, I thought crypto was supposed to be secure and now I'm in this bankruptcy. And I'm like, well, the crypto is secure. That's not the issue. The issue is the guy that you gave it to. <laughs> so, so when I say guy, you know, really mean the company that you trusted and believed in to give you the 10%, you know, annualized interest rate that, you know, now is in the, you know, they don't know where half the money is. So, so that has to do with, with transparency around those companies and around those companies themselves. So the technology itself though is, is where it's at. Well, and, and also narrative too, right? I mean, when, you know, how many times have you read a headline that said the latest Bitcoin scam? And then when you actually read it, yeah. you're like, that wasn't a Bitcoin scam, right? That was a somebody it's scammed scam. you and Bitcoin <laughs> was being used for it, right? It's, it's right. no different than, you know, uh, not to offend people from Nigeria, but, you know, 20 years ago in the US, you'd get a, a Nigerian prince email saying, hey, give me all your money, right? And it was an email that was meant to make you click on something. And, you know, that was never viewed as a US dollar scam. That was an email scam. In the same way that if a company scams you for Bitcoin, that's not a Bitcoin scam; that's a company scam. So some of these some of these barriers to entry or some of these fear points need to be just continually continuously broken down. And once they are, then people get more comfortable, right? So so there is definitely a a sense of 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 um, not only demystifying but basically uh, uh, unteaching things that have been improperly communicated and learned. If I if I can if I can zoom out a bit here. Just to, you know, some of the things that you were saying, and Robert, I think this is really important. And I, and I waited for this with the PayPal announcement. It didn't happen and some other things. So let's zoom out really quickly. And folks talk about, to you, as you said, right, mass adoption, this, that, or whatever. Again, this year, there was this whole thing about folks not getting their stimulus money. Folks still didn't get it. This is where education is so important. And then it was like, well, let's go. Maybe we develop the post office to be banking. If you go to any, any city community on the uh, on the weekends, look at the line to go into the bank to use the banking services, the minimal banking services they already have. Start with money orders. Let's put that there. Now there's something in crypto called airdrops, right? Our government knows nothing about that, but there's this regulation they want to know about it. Now imagine, right, the ability to airdrop these folks' money in real time in their accounts. Now watch this, Walmart. 55% of the people that shop at Walmart make $44,000 or less. Walmart has tried to become a bank in this country three times. Nothing. Walmart last year says, hey, we want to file a patent for our own stable coin to help those who are unbanked. If you go to a Walmart, they have a whole bunch of services there. You can do any and everything. But wait, not as headline when that PayPal news came out, that PayPal has a relationship with Walmart where folks who have the app can access Walmart to pay with, they call it Walmart cash through PayPal. PayPal just made an announcement about Bitcoin, didn't they? So wait a second, let's put all of these things together. Why are we so focused on the post office becoming the bank, which the government is hell bent again on going away where we have the Walmart family, the wealthiest family, probably anywhere, but let's stay away from that. But just the fact that the people that they serve and the banking services that they serve. So you have not seen one headline about how PayPal, you saw you know, the merchants and this, that, whatever, how PayPal and their relationship with Walmart and Walmart who said, we wanna to start to develop this technology and then Walmart who served so many of those people at the bottom, squish all of those things together, go to the government and say, you can airdrop this money to those same people that shop at Walmart, make an announcement, scheduled rollouts based on uh, uh, social security numbers, this, that, or whatever. By the way, those who don't have social security numbers identity, you can go to Walmart and get an ID so you can get your money. Says, we're gonna schedule these payments, go to Walmart, you'll be able to get your money. Either you can walk in and get a physical check, cash that check right there, turn that check into money right there, be able to shop, do whatever. Or if you are set up through the PayPal, Walmart mobile app, we'll airdrop your money right into your account. None of those people need to know about Bitcoin, blockchain, whatever, as Jeff was saying, but that happened. Like, why is these conversations happening right now? So it's like, these are the things where when folks bring up that mass adoption thing, it's like, well, all the pieces are in place. Like you're staring at the puzzle and the puzzle's together, but you just gotta, 
wait, let me change the lens and look this way. And now all of a sudden, oh my God, it's already here, right? So it's like the pieces of the puzzle already there for incredible mass adoption in America, not Argentina, not Nigeria, right here to help our own. But for whatever reason, the focus is on, oh, PayPal, and they don't, they don't let you take it off. Who cares? <laughs> like, that's not what it's about. But, you know, so I think we're there in terms of, again, the mass acceptance, mass adoption, and mass availability, but we just need to change the lens a little bit to let people know what's possible. Um, and again, we'll, we'll start cooking with grease, as my mother would say. That actually leads into my next question. And, and Tyrone, you may I'll come back to you real quick on this one is talking about trends looking ahead, you know, and this idea for, you know, the puzzle pieces are there. Just come on, just put, put the right, just put the right piece in. Come on, just do it. You know, and what's interesting is that, you know, you bring up this example of Walmart and you, you know, I started thinking about other big box, big box retailers, like a target or something like that. You know, I'm like, why haven't they done something like this yet? You know? So, I mean, is, is, this kind of the first step towards more mass adoption and, and maybe thinking about this as a trend moving forward, you know, and, and maybe thinking about some, some other trends that are, are maybe uh, taking shape now as we go into 2021. So Tyrone, Adam, you know, I've, I've go to you guys on this one. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just add this really quickly. It, another thing that we can talk about here, we can do a, a whole podcast alone demographics, right. And the demographics play here huge again something that'll never make headlines but let's just stay here for a minute i for years have traveled the country and gone into some of the most poorest places and implored the black and brown community to simply buy stock guys please you have to like you got to start investing we have to there's ways to do it it's never been cheaper acorns all these other things stockpile you can go into i used to tell me all the time you go into the, the the grocery store right now and buy shares of stock like you can do this it's a literal thing i need you guys to do it crickets they would not listen that's not for us this that or whatever and i stand before them as someone who didn't know what the stock market was until i was 26 i'm like guys you got to hear me the opportunity here nothing Bitcoin comes 2017 that run up happens you never heard anything about all of the black and brown people that have gotten into capital markets and investing now because of Bitcoin. Huge how these people have come into capital markets now and, and now are doing again some of this stuff is is not what I would suggest, but they've been exposed. And we all know you got to burn your mouth on a slice of pizza first to know the blow next time. So whether it's options, whether it's stocks, whether it's whatever, they're in the markets now. And again, for me, it was a proud moment for years because I'm like, man, I had said this. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wanted to get exposed to Bitcoin. And now they're like, well, Tyrone, what about this stock? What about that? That's one part. Second part of the demographic shift here is this. Again, you hear about this transfer to millennials. 53% of millennials use alternative financial services. 53%. If this is, if, if, if so, if that's to be true, that they are using alternative financial services, and again, another class issue based on what's alternative if you have an alternative if you don't, but if, th if this is truly going to be a shift, and, in, and I'll, I'll throw the advisor lens on here, where now advisors are working with clients that are going to start to see this money leave in mass because those clients are going to look at the advisor that is not aware on the space or some of the other things that are out there and goes, well, now thanks for helping my mom and dad. I'm taking this money to Wealthfront, Betterment, this, whatever. Like it's, it's just like, there's a lot that's going to happen here and it's, it's going to start at the top and filter all the way down to the people that are under the bottom, not even the people that are at the bottom. So there's a, there's a huge demographics play on here. And again, a demographic shifted. If you turn the lens, it's even more alarming than the constant themes that are thrown out on Twitter. Um, and, and as a financial advisor, as a black American, as someone that understands, again, that, that had a lot of clients, crypto clients who were young, I see it from all sides. It is going to be a massive shift that I don't think this country and our business in totality is ready for. Um, but I think things like this and conversations like this will start to prepare people for what's about to happen. Um, and, and it's going to happen quicker, quickly than I think most, and Adam would agree, most in our business is prepared for. Yep. Yeah, it is, it is, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Adam. 
No, I, I was just going to say, piggyback on Tyrone, a big trend going the next year is, I think, going to be financial advisors learning more. That, and, and this is something that has to trickle through, right? Because they, financial advisors, have to get questions from their clients enough that they go, man, I, I really need to learn about this. They have to understand where they're going to make money helping their clients understand it and invest. And then they have to learn about it themselves. They have to make sure that there's safety and security, things like on-ramp is working for, custodians, people that can hold the money and I feel comfortable with it. So the level of comfort in terms of a trend, the, the level of comfort in me as an advisor or me as an investor getting into it, I think is going to significantly increase. When you have uh, Cash App, PayPal, companies that you know of that are behind it, I think the level of security, perceived security and safety increases plus the level of, of, of education even needed to, to move forward, right? Cash App is so easy. Once you've set up your bank account, you go go buy Bitcoin. You don't have to know a thing about Bitcoin. You can go buy it, right? That it, it makes it very, um, very simple, very seamless. So we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more, uh, I, again, my feeling trend-wise, more integration, more digital assets, like Jeff was talking about, more digital, more, more representation of either physical assets or investment assets or uh, my car, my home, something like that. We're gonna see more digital asset representation utilizing blockchain technology. Things like I can hold uh, you know, assets on my phone. I'll, I'll be able to show proof that things like identity, those are going to start to move forward. The idea of lending, the idea of alternative investments. The millennials are big into alternative investments. I wanna invest in art, real estate, cryptocurrency fits in there because the traditional 60-40 portfolio doesn't work anymore. Like that, that's, that's not interesting to me. Uh, and, and by the way, I can probably get a lot of that with an algorithm. I wanna invest in something that, that Tom is talking about. I wanna invest in some of the tokens that Jeff is talking about. So those I think are some trends, but one of the big ones is the, the push to RIA and financial advisors to learn about this to the point that they can then help their clients. Yeah, it, it, go, it goes beyond traditional investing, though, too. I mean, think about all the things you do in your everyday life that you have no economic stake in, right? The local restaurant where you, you know, dine at two or three times a, a week, your, you know, your gym membership, your barber shop, right? What if, what, if, what if these small local businesses start issuing tokens to their community members and saying, hey, you know, basically pre-fund your spending by buying a token. And you're going to get it 20% discounts every time you shop at my store. But also, I'm going to kick back 10 or 15% of my top line revenue to you via a dividend when you do it, right? Think about what that does, right? Not only are you going to support your local business anyway, but now you're going to evangelize on behalf of them. And you're going to try to get other people to come because you are financially incentivized to get more people to spend at their restaurant or their barbershop or their you know, uh, uh, you know, gym. So... This idea of, of, yes, financial advisors need to get smarter for the people who have enough money to warrant a financial advisor, but also everyday people can start investing in their everyday lives, right? I mean, the disconnect is just massive. I've been a Starbucks shareholder for 10 years. I don't even drink coffee. I don't ever go into a Starbucks. I get no utility from Starbucks and Starbucks gets nothing from me. Well, what if I were only invested in the things that I use on an everyday basis and I am uh, getting kickbacks for using it? Like, you know, loyalty points and rewards work. Money works. Well, now you can combine those two things using a digital asset. So it is going to be massive and beyond just Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is the best starting point. Everybody should start with Bitcoin, but there is going to be a lot more that comes from it. And it, it's no different than any other ecosystem play, right? Uh, I, I, I was not a gamer. I didn't play video games. Uh, but as soon as I got an iPhone, I have 15 games on my phone. Like, why is that? Well, I'm in the iOS ecosystem. Those games are readily available. Well, okay. Well, when I get into the Walmart ecosystem or the PayPal or Square ecosystem or the Bitcoin ecosystem, these other things are going to be readily available to me and it's going to increase adoption. Yeah. Very good. I, my last question for everybody, you know, because I'm sure everyone here, you guys get thousands of questions, uh, whether it's on a daily basis, weekly basis from people just wanting to learn more. I want to know from each of you, what's the most frequently asked question that you get? And maybe we can address it here. So uh, I'm going to go, Jeff, I'm going to go back to you and then we're going to go uh, clockwise. So Jeff, what's what's the most frequently asked question that you get when it comes to, not just in general, we're talking in crypto, you know, I, I could have set yeah. myself up with something else. Like, what did you eat today? I, I didn't right, eat that. The, the, crypt, crypto. The most frequent question I get is, can I have a treat? Because I have a three and a seven-year-old and they're always asking me. <laughs> but the um, <laughs> specific to digital assets. Um, you know, 
again, I cater to an institutional world, right? I cater to the people who already have money. It's certainly not as noble. It's not as important as some of the other things we're talking about, but that is where you know my company focuses. I will tell you that the questions have evolved from what is blockchain and what is Bitcoin to why would I own that to how do I own that? So the biggest question we have right now is what is the best way or how do I own that? And as, as simple as that sounds, that's probably the most important question is people have gone from questioning the viability to now wondering what is the best way to get exposure. Got it. And Tom, I'm going to guess your question that you most get frequently asked is how did you find that? And I find what? Crypto? Exactly. Yeah, crypto. Just, the, you know, yeah. Yeah, so I got sucked into crypto doing what I do every day, which is trying to find distressed opportunities for clients. Um, and I went down the rabbit hole, like probably everybody here, they first heard about it and they're like, oh, this is so funny. I'm sure this is like hokey. And, uh, you know, over time I've been converted. And uh, yeah, I don't know what I get asked. I get it. Sometimes price target stuff is always very funny. I always either... <laughs> I always tell people like, you know, it depends on how many drinks I've had, how many, how large the price target will be. Uh, but uh, no, I'm a believer in the space. And I just try to tell people like, especially if someone has a very small amount of money and it's not, a, you know, a, a, you know, they're, they're, I have friends and they'll have an income and they say, oh, I have $5,000 I got from my aunt or they'll say they get this little bit of money. And I'm like, does it really matter if you have the 5,000? And he's like, no, I'm like you should just, just buy some Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, I try to, I try to not be too flippant with, with it. And I'm, you know, I'm not giving financial advice here at all. Um, but uh, I tried to evangelize it. And uh, even in the circles, I sort of hang out in distressed and value circles. So um, I used to be a little bit of a closet crypto guy, I guess, since when I really started. But I try to say, you know, I should be more congruent. And if I really believe in the space, try to be a little more public about it. So I've, that's been that's been me. I think, you know, trying to be less people asking about crypto and I try to be less, uh, what's the phrase sort of non-committal. I try to be less non-committal. That's for Robert, what I try to be. Very good. All right. And, and then Tyrone, you know, what's, what's the most frequently asked question that you get when it comes to digital assets and, and crypto? Well, well, it's funny. I, I run the gamut, right. Of, uh, and, and similar to what Jeff was saying, where Bitcoin touches so many different people. So again, I get, you know, I had a, I don't know, 35, billion dollar RIA owner last week saying, how do I buy it? And I've had a five-star general in the blood street gang ask me the same thing. Like, how do I buy it? So that's the most common question that I get. And I think from that individual all the way to all the way to those who are trying to change their lives and start to invest and see themselves at a very dangerous street life are like, you know, man, I see you talking about this and what it means for the black community and, and just people in general, like myself, how do I buy it? So I think that to me is an indication, again, of what Jeff was saying, it touches everywhere, but the question and the beauty of it, the question is the same, how do I buy it? Yeah. Very good. I think that's funny. How do you not, you know, come on. I do get the same question about how to diet. And I was like, really? <laughs> well, yeah, just on your phone, cash app, right? They, they... <laughs> Are you not your phone? Yeah. Um, not, not to like sound like a broken record, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's the most common question. But the interesting thing about how do I buy it, like, like these guys have said, is it comes from so many different places, right? It comes from the how do I buy it because I want to send it somewhere or how do I buy it because I want to make an investment or how do I buy it? Like Tyrone and I were both on a, a Twitter thread yesterday. How do I buy it in my IRA? But it, mm -hmm. but it always comes back to how do I buy it? Uh, and, and then, and then you got to go, okay, well, how do I hold it? And, and you get into so many other conversations because how do I buy it leads to, well, should I buy it now? Because as, as you talked about, Bobby, we hit all time highs not too long ago. So now you get the like, well, is it, is it too high to buy now? Should, should I buy it now? But it always is prefaced by how, how do I do this? And that opens up so much more, um, based on whoever the, the person is that's asking, because if it's an RIA, uh, asking that, th that actually leads to one answer. If it's, you know, my buddy who, who is in oil and gas, who finally came around and asked me last week, you know, fi finally came around to the Bitcoin conversation and, you know, on the weekend said, how do I buy it? And I kind of walked him through it, um, just via text message and, and he was able to buy it. Uh, so the, the, how do I buy is so much more than how do I buy? Right. 
I think I think that's a great place to end it. So I mean, with with that, I'd love to everybody give your your final take, and then uh, where people can go and find more information about you. So uh, Adam, let me come right back to you. So your final take on digital assets and our conversation today, and uh, and then where people can go and find more information about you and InterAccess. Uh, my, my final take is if you're at all interested in it, go learn about it. You're going to learn a whole lot about banking. You're going to learn a lot about economics, investing, finance, everything, Bobby, that you talk about on your show in terms of uh, micro cap, small cap can all go back to the same type of education that you're going to have. And, and people are going to have an infinitely more uh, in-depth understanding of all the other things that you talk about and that Tom talks about by going and learning about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency and, and digital assets. So go learn it, go try it, like figure out how to buy it, move it around and, and you'll learn a lot more. Uh, our website is just interaccess.io and, and we focus on you know, helping those in the financial space learn about cryptocurrency, digital assets, blockchain. Yeah, and go get yourself a whiteboard like uh, like Adam has, you know, and also go check out some of his videos. They're actually very, very good uh, educational pieces that he put out there. So Adam, I had a chance to watch a few, so they're 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 very good. Thank you. Uh, so uh, Tyrone, your final take and where people can go and find more information on you. Uh, my final take is that there is a hunger crisis in America, and that one in three children are hungry. That is a disgrace. GoKidHungry.org. Thank you, Tyrone. Thank you very much. Everybody, go check that out, please. So. Thomas, your final take and where uh, people can go and find more information on you. Uh, you know, consider buying and getting involved in digital assets. Starting <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on the I'm on the web. You guys can find me, 507 Capital. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think it's a fascinating space. And if you haven't considered it, you know, like, you know, consider researching. And, and, and I think, Adam, your idea, you know, play around with it, you know, sort of. Yeah, that's it. There we go. All right. And Jeff, your final take and where people can go and find more information on you. Sure. Uh, you can find us at uh, ar.ca. Uh, we actually have a blog that we write every week that I would encourage people to sign up for, or you can find me on Twitter, jdorman81. Uh, but my final take is, is I think digital assets are the most powerful capital formation tool and bootstrapping growth mechanism ever. Um, and every single person that has ever talked about it, including our panel here, we all started at the same place you did, which is a few years ago, we knew nothing about it. And now we are know a lot about it. So don't be intimidated by people who know more. Reach out to people. Tyrone might be the busiest man on the planet, but I bet you he'll respond to a tweet or he'll respond to an email. That's for sure. Um, you know, reach out to people, find two or three people you trust, reach out to them, build a dialogue and start learning. It, it's again, this is not, there's no hundred years of history here. Like there is in other asset classes. This is all brand new for everyone. And the people speaking to you are just people who got there earlier. That's it. Very good. All right. Well, with that, thank you all for listening today. I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen in on this panel and to all my panelists. Thank you guys for joining in. This was a great conversation. Uh, stay safe. Good luck. I look forward to talking with, with uh, you all soon. Be the hungry child. Love and light, gents. Thanks everybody. Right. Thanks guys. Nice to meet you.